Lunch with Pippa Hudson. And now, Consumer Talk featuring Wendy Nola. Great to have Wendy back with us in studio today. And as I mentioned, quite a mixed bag of topics, but all with the theme of reminding you of key consumer hacks, if we can call them that. Things uh, to make sure you receive the kind of service you're entitled to and also things to avoid that you don't fall prey to scammers and con artists. Uh, we will make some space for open line calls as well. If you'd like to join the conversation, 021-446-0567. And you can send a voice note to 072-567-1567. Welcome. Welcome back, Wendy. Thanks, Pippa. Good to be here. Before we get to any of the hacks, though, we want to just share with the audience a message we got from a listener uh, about a topic we've actually discussed on the show before that is worth revisiting. It's a bit of a work in progress. We're not yes. ready to give it its own full treatment in a show of its own yet, but I would be interested to hear your feedback on the subject of luggage tampering during air travel. So our listener Patrick wrote to me a couple of weeks ago to relay his experience, and he said the following... Hi, Pippa. I flew back from Joburg on Sunday evening and found that my bag had been broken into despite having locks and a security strap around the bag. The same thing happened to my fiancé when she flew back about a month earlier. The, the MO was the same in both circumstances. Late evening arrivals in Cape Town, quite long delays, longer than normal in the bags arriving on the carousel and then finding that the locks and the zipper tabs had been cut off. Luckily, neither of us had anything of value in our bags, so nothing was taken. I think they must have been looking for electronic devices. But I wonder if other listeners have also had this happen, and I wonder if perhaps there is a syndicate or gang working at the Cape Town airport. Patrick, thanks for flagging it. Um, Wendy, I know you've been in conversation with the airport's company to try and get someone to join us and speak about the latest stats on luggage theft. Uh, where have you got? Well, <laughs> I didn't have any luck until I've just literally, as we went on air, I checked my uh, emails because I've been uh, on the road. Yeah. And at uh, seven minutes past two, I got this. I'm sharing it almost as I'm reading. Hot off the press. Okay. Yes. Okay. So I asked a number of questions around uh, baggage tampering statistics and also some advice for people. What are the, the things that are most likely to be taken out of your um, luggage? I have been reporting or I was reporting last year and the year before about designer fragrances. Yes, that's something I that's, that's yes. number one. It was the number one item. So let's discover together okay. what the <laughs> statistics are. Cape Town International Airport fully recovered to 100% of pre-COVID um, levels on international travel the domestic travel recovery is 72 percent that was a question i wanted to, okay. I wanted, I wanted to see what our what the levels were like so we're not quite back on and certainly domestically back to, to 2019 the iata worldwide target for mishandled bags is four in a thousand and the average is 3.5 this is for bags that are damaged lost or tampered with Okay. The Cape Town International average performance is 1.23 bags in a thousand. So okay. basically they're saying well below average. The number of bags pilfered as officially reported by passengers and airlines, and I think we have to allow for the fact that some people don't report it, yep. is 0.023 in a thousand. That doesn't mean much to uh, many people. So luckily they've translated this into... One bag for every 50,000 bags processed in a month. Our internal target is to move to zero bags. So our listener, was, had, according to these statistics, and his fiance had particularly bad, bad luck. luck that it happened to both of yes, them in a month. Although yeah. I say in 2019 pre-COVID, um, it happened to me twice in that year. Yes. Um, 
nothing was taken because I don't have expensive enough fragrance, I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> Not even my Doc, Doc Martens. I was almost <laughs> insulted. Sure, thank heavens for that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the highest domestic route passenger volume um, is between Oatumba in Johannesburg and Cape Town International, and therefore the highest pilferage stats are on this domestic route. We continue to focus, AXA that is, continues to focus yeah. on preventing pilferage together with airlines and ground handlers. We work as a network of airports with our colleagues at all airports. Security checkpoints, improved surveillance, automated systems, security audits and blitzes are all part of our response. Perfumes and clothing and electronics are still the goods that are most likely to be pilfered as I um, thought. Yep. Passengers are encouraged to not check in valuables, to wrap checked in bags. It was a question I asked because the second time it happened to me, my bag had not only a lock on it, but it had a, one of those covers. Yes. On. I didn't wrap, have it wrapped, but it had a you know proper cover. And that was taken off and put on skew and everything. Gosh. And, and somebody, one of the ground crew, said to me in Captain International, maybe it's not a, such a good idea because the thieves could um, think that you've got something very um, valuable. Special, worth protecting yes, in, there. in there. So I've stopped using it. And, well, it hasn't happened since, but obviously that's interesting. complete yes. coincidence. Um, but, yes, AXA does suggest wrapping check-in bag and to place locks on bag. Well, mine was just disappeared. It was just gone as if it was never there. This makes it more difficult for anyone to tamper with the bag and also protects the bag during handling. They've ignored my one question, which was in, in both um, those cases, um, there was a delay. Yes, a departure and delay. Yeah. And so there was this um, suspicion that with the bags lying around for longer um, in those holding areas, that, that gave the thieves the opportunity more, more opportunity. Yeah. And yeah. that, that um, question has been ignored for some reason. But I do think it makes, well, it makes sense from a layperson's point of view. I would imagine that you that uh, it would make things easier. The longer the, longer the, it's the bag around, is, the more opportunity. Not with you and yeah. not on a plane. Um, th there's more opportunity. So yeah. that's a downside from checking in too early. I would say, but that's just oh, my interesting. View and, yeah. and anecdotal stuff that I've heard. Um, so yeah. So there Debbie, you have it. Debbie's saying I think the baggage handlers should be behind glass so that the public can always see yeah. what they're up to. So I've, yeah. I've, it's a good point, and I have investigated this issue for many years now. Yes, and there are dead spots. Um, in in the airports, when the luggage is out of everybody's sight, yours, yeah. mine, the the, the 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 airlines, the baggage handling uh, managers, and whatever. Um, and uh, I mean, when I asked this question during COVID, I was told yeah. there's no budget to keep the travelators going, let alone install more cameras and all this sort of thing. And I suppose at that time there was less traffic. Yeah. But um, I do think, and I asked that question. I said, is more budget going to be put? on dealing with this issue um, or is, has, has budgets generally been so decimated by the COVID era that it's not a possibility? That wasn't also okay. uh, answered now that I'm thinking. I don't have the questions in front of me. But um, I think I think reading between the lines, they're saying that the statistics are way below, what is it? The One in 50,000. So the target bags. is four in a thousand. The average internationally is three and a half in a thousand. And Cape Town's average is 1.23 per thousand bags suffers some form of pilfering or damage. So that, the, I mean, we are, that's nearly a quarter of uh, the international target rate, which is something to be applauded, I guess. Uh, Wendy, I just want to remind listeners of something you told us the last time we responded, we, we discussed this in late 2019, which is the importance of checking your bags 
before you leave the airport. And I know it's the last thing yes, anybody feels like doing. Of course. Because you want to get home yes. and you know, you've come off a long flight, you just want to get home. But you reminded us then it's really important to check it before you leave the airport premises, not so. Yes, exactly. So you report it then and there. And don't be put off, even if it's there's always staff at any time of, of, of the day, day or night. night. Yeah. Because if you once you've left, the difficulty of proving that it happened exactly. in transit at the airline while in their custody becomes yeah. that much harder. And then obviously any claim for damages that might arise is more uh, more difficult uh, to prove. So do bear that in mind. Check your bag carefully before you hoi it in the back of the car yeah. and head home. Uh, Jane saying, we always lock and bubble wrap our luggage and so far that has worked for us. I'd be interested to hear, just anecdotally, has anybody else had an experience of luggage pilfering of any kind, either at Cape Town International or one of the other airports you've transited through? Or is it something that you feel is actually being managed quite well at present based on your experiences of travel 0214460567 or pop a voice note through to 0725671567 you with cape talk this is pepper hudson on lunch Okay, well, happy to come back to to uh, luggage theft comments uh, a little bit later on. But for now, let's let's steam ahead with our consumer hacks. And Wendy, you want to start with talking about car purchases because, um, well, really, you want to remind us that that offering to purchase a car is not something that should be done lightly. It it sounds to me like you get quite a few complaints linked to this. I do indeed. So a lot of people regard that OTP, which is not a one time. Password in this case, it's a it's a offer, offer to, to purchase. purchase. Yeah, they seem to regard it as a kind of form of quote or something that it's not really binding on them that they can change their mind and move on and it's fine. And it actually isn't. It is a legally binding document. Some de- uh, dealerships will, um, if you've paid a deposit, they they will want to keep some of it and they mm. can if they can prove you know that they got the car for you from another dealership that they spiked it in a certain way that you'd requested and, and all that kind of thing. Um, others, I've known of cases that it's happened to them far too many times, so they actually take legal action to force you to continue with the deal hmm. that you've signed because you've, you know, it's, yep. it's all there. Or, um, and others will just, you know, whatever, you know, not happy, but just let you cancel. Let you go. So but you're lucky you're if that, is, you are that lucky. happens. Yeah. In, uh, and, you know, they're always very quick to say the motor industry ombudsman, you know, supports us in this. You, it is a binding document and but the, what the that so, so as so often happens when they're on the other side of this thing, when the dealership has a signed offer to purchase with a customer, and for some reason the car gets sold to somebody else, often the the justification is, oh, we didn't realize that two salesmen were working on the same deal, and blah, blah. but they then want to sort of just say, oh, sorry for you, sorry, walk, la, away. walk away, and and I've. I've taken up many of those cases as well and managed to um, get them, you know, some justice in the form of getting them, getting the dealership to source them a car um, of similar, uh, similar spec and similar price? spec at the same price. And I had, I had the case of the Ford dealership um, in Gauteng just in the last couple of weeks, and Ford South Africa stepped in and made it right because in that case they'd also kept his fifty thousand rand deposit that they'd no. asked him to pay. Absolutely, sure. yes. So. So just a little reminder about the offer to purchase. And the other thing that struck me while I was investigating that case was that, and I had, um, I was engaging very closely with the ombudsman, Johan van Frieden, um, was this 
chap had been it wasn't a person an in-person deal they had he had driven the car but later they emailed him the offer to purchase to sign which he did yeah um and it was blank and my advice is and all but agreed is always ask them the dealership to sign before they send it to you so that when you put your signature on it's signed by both parties and you know that this it's, is it's, now a legally binding, binding contract yeah and the ombud went one step further and said it must be the dealer principal or the sales manager. The salesman does not have the authority to do it. So don't Ooh. let that happen. I insist that it's either the dealer principal, the DP, or the sales manager. And I thought um, that was great advice and advice that I hadn't heard and or given before. Yeah. So again, just to reiterate, it's once you have submitted the offer to purchase, it is a binding legal contract on both parties who have signed it. So that means they can't just back away and say, sorry, we sold the car to somebody else. But equally, you can't just walk away and say, I changed my mind. Wendy, I mean, you should ask some questions before you sign that offer to purchase anyway. um, I mean, what sort of things you should be thinking about? You know, what is the deposit they require? And and, and what would happen if I was to walk away from that? Exactly. So as with any time you're ever asked to pay a deposit, is ask questions around what that deposit means and what its terms are. I think 99% of people just pay it and hope for the best, Yeah. Um, which creates all sorts of drama and unpleasantness if either party pulls out. So in other words, as with all deposits, there should be a sliding scale. So um, if you sign and then you're partner says are you bad we can't afford that and then you sort of immediately want to cancel it well they haven't been put to any trouble on your behalf mm-hmm. if they've got the, I'm talking specifically about cars if they've got the car for you they've put the wheels on that you requested they've added some accessories they've turned down um somebody else's, somebody else's, else's offer etc yeah. then they can most definitely um keep part of your deposit if you've paid a deposit or they can seek to get that money from you in other ways um, but but as you say, very important to ask the questions so that both parties know what the stakes are and and what will happen if if the deal uh, falls apart for some reason. Really important advice. Thank you so much. Uh, going back to the airline story, Caroline's raising an interesting point here because Caroline says I had my lock cut off, my bag rifled through, uh, GHD removed, but nothing else taken. GHD. It's a, it's a hair iron. Oh, okay. Yes, of course. Okay, nothing else taken. This was on a flight from Cape Town to PE, but this is the kicker. I didn't report it. She says. Now mm. that figure of one point two three was of reported cases at Cape Town. That's what I said. Um, Wendy, I mean, I, I'm sure you're going to make the case that even if it is a minor um, uh, incident, you should be reporting it. I, I'm probably guilty of that because I reported mine to the airline. You know, I have contacted yes. all the airlines. So I just WhatsApped him and said, can you believe this has happened for the second time? And obviously I don't have stuff that um, I don't wear designer clothing and I don't have designer fragrances. And obviously this person thought oh well that was a big waste of time they're getting the lock off getting my <laughs> getting my cover <laughs> off and it happened twice and I think for those of us and I've heard from other people the same thing the whole rifle through thing and not in, and then I suppose they've got to find ways these thieves these baggage handlers um, uh, with it with with a uh, sticky fingers they've got to find ways of getting the stuff out and if it's not really valuable they don't want to risk it yeah. but and, and I, th- I suspect that if um, it happens and you haven't lost anything you can see immediately um, you then think well I'm, it's not worth the hassle but we must report it so that these statistics are, are actually accurate, accurate. because yeah. it shouldn't be happening and we need to know how many times it's happening whether they take something or not and it is a horrible thing to happen I mean my toiletry bag was open and just the contents strewn everywhere just a violation yeah it's 
discussion and of the those fact that it, it, as well. the fact yeah. that something wasn't taken is is an aside because had they had they wanted something that I had it most would definitely would have been, would taken, have been yeah. taken yeah. Okay, and the question of I mean, where do we put the perfume, Wendy? If you are going to fly with in perfume, your hand like yeah, but you're limited in the amount that you can take with you. Not so we have to start. I suppose on domestic, yeah. it's all right. Yeah, if you're traveling internationally, it's time then, to start, then, start investing in some miniatures. I yes. guess. Yeah. Cape Talk, consumer talk. WhatsApp on o seven two five six seven one five six seven. Well, I'm smiling at Andrew. Andrew tells me in the old days I used to put a very realistic fake snake on top of my luggage contents after I'd had a few ransacking and theft episodes and it never happened again. <laughs> Just don't open your suitcase anywhere near my mom, Andrew. <laughs> you might be liable for some you know, of these medical expenses. Just as a, an aside, we've got so much content, I probably yeah. shouldn't go here. But I, I had a case a few years ago where this family came back from the States and this little girl under 10 had a, a plush snake. It was yes. very obvious, one of those sort of velveteen sort of, you know, those toy, ones. Yes. Toy, And it was confiscated because and they said to oh. her because if someone on the air, uh, in the plane saw it, it could cause mass panic and be a danger oh, no, to the plane. On. I a promise you. Snake. It was fluffy. I promise you. It was, we're not talking one of those toy shop ones that are plastic and made to look real. Real. Yes. I mean, I tried that on my windowsill when the birds kept picking at the, at the, um, Reflections, but yes. does, I can tell you now it, it doesn't, doesn't work. work. I've got about five of these snakes at home. Maybe I should use them. Use them when traveling. Yeah. Now you know. Wendy, before we move on to the next topic, a couple of car related questions okay. coming in. I think after hearing you mention the offer to purchase uh, story, Anonymous saying, What happens if you buy a defective new car from the dealership floor? While driving home, I picked up the mechanical noise. What would the legal options be? Oh my gosh! This is a, this is answer could take up the rest of the show. Okay, because um, cars are quite tricky because of their value. It's not the same the same thing you think it should, but um, it's not like getting a toaster. The toaster uh, malfunctions the first time you try and use it, and then you can go back in terms of the Consumer Protection Act. You've got six months in which to return a defective item for your choice of a refund, replacement, or repair. Um, Provided they they can send it off for a technical assessment, and if they find that you poured water in your toaster before you used it, then, then you've lost then, your rights. Exactly. Yeah. So so that's a nice straightforward example. With cars, um, yes, they come with a six month um, CPA warranty on top of the manufacturer's warranty, which is three, five, seven years depending on the brand. Okay. Um, but it is not the case that if you take a car in with a funny noise or the stitching's coming out in the leather or whatever, um, that you can drive straight back to the dealership and say, thanks ever so much, but I don't want it. Give me a new one or give me my, give me my money back. That is not going to happen. So practically... Um, they will get it, have a chance to repair it, um, as the warranty suggests. And the, the, the part that is faulty is considered um, the product in that case, right? Okay. Um, so if it is a safety critical issue like braking or steering, they get one bite at the cherry and then they have to make another plan, take the car back, replace it, whatever they can't yeah. keep. Obviously, that would be completely prejudicial to yeah. the consumer. But um, you for the first... Um, problem with the car you you can't as it was as with a toaster take it back and say I don't want you to repair this I, I want you to replace or refund me that's not going to work with a car I, I'm, that's over, oversimplifying the story but that is the, that is the practical 
outcome. Yes. So, I mean, before you go running to a lawyer, obviously you go back to the dealership and say, well, look, I've had this issue. Give them an opportunity to deal with it professionally and one hopes that most would do so. But I would say my advice would be is that six month period is golden. And what some dealerships do is they drag it out and and then... By the time it gets to, okay, this car is not fixable, they, they are not able to fix it, then your six months has slid on by. So I would say start documenting everything. Okay. Very important dates, who you spoke to, what they did when you sent the car in. They must give you a courtesy car. If they don't have a courtesy car, they must arrange for alternative mobility, Uber, if possible, something like that. It's not okay for them to just say we can't do it. Is that what you've just... Well, to the next question, which comes, has come in from Katrin, speaking on exactly this issue. She said, we purchased a second-hand vehicle from the, and from day two, it gave us trouble. We had bought a maintenance plan in order to attend to the problems. After six months of not being able to get the, get the problem sorted out, the dealer took the car back and refunded us in full. Her question, though, is would we have a right to claim the cost of the maintenance plan from the dealership as well as the ongoing Uber fares to bring that car in for repairs? That's a very interesting question because there are two things at play here. When um, the motor industry ombudsman adjudicates these cases, when there is a take back of the car, they allow for mileage to be deducted. In other words, the thinking there is that if you weren't driving that car, wouldn't have the use of that car, even though it was sporadic if it's going wrong, you would have had to spend that money on Uber, on this and that. And so there is an actual formula per kilometer that they deduct. And I get a lot of complaints about this because yeah. people think it's unfair, but that's the way it is. So she, you might find that, you know, if they applied that formula, you might not win even once you've deducted what you feel your cost that needed yeah. to be deducted. So it's just something to 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 bear in mind. Um, I'm, I was thinking that story was going to end differently when she got to the end of the six month period, and then they tried but, to, but yeah. they did take it back, which is which is something. So second hand cars have the same, um, and second car second hand anything have the same. You have the same rights under the CPA, uh, unless they um, pointedly say to you, um, "This is a very old." car please note that um the thermostat needs replacing whatever and you accept that then you can't go back and say the thermostat thermostat. yeah Yeah. okay thanks for that all right moving away from cars wendy i have of late noticed a flurry of complaints on facebook and twitter from people complaining about debt review about the processes about debt review taking too long about not being informed when their debt was actually paid off and all sorts of things but I gather your inbox is full particularly with complaints about people who found themselves placed under debt review without actually intending to be there exactly it's it's horrible 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 and it's the, the number of complaints is escalating I've been warning about this I think for a year to 18 months um, and and how it works is there are a lot of these rogue companies out there, but that somehow are registered with the national credit regulator. So they yep. are bona fide on paper um, debt counselors yep. and, and have the legal right to put people under debt review, which is um, a specific legal process prescribed by the National Credit Act, and it's designed to help over-indebted consumers rehabilitate. So you are still getting an income, but your Debts, your debt repayments are uh, too great for you to cope with every month and still eat. And so you go to a debt counselor um, for the cost of your first month's um, cons- consolidated payment, yeah. They, um, which covers the legal and everything. They will 
do a wants versus needs with you. Okay, you have to sell that. You can't have two cars. You need to sell one. What about yep. cancel your DSTV? No more going to restaurants. Da, da, da. And then they negotiate with your with your um, credit providers on your home loan, on your car, on your retail account, whatever. They can off, they can often um, you know reduce the amount by reducing interest or whatever they negotiate and say right, you now need to pay. Um, a, pay, a payment um, PDA, payment distribution agent, um, eight and a half thousand rand a month, whatever it is. So you pay that amount, and they distribute to your creditors until your debts are settled. And while you're under that process, you can't get any new debt. When you come out of it, your credit record gets cleared, and you're all good to go. And, and it's helped scratch. thousands and thousands of people. But there are. Many of these registered debt uh, counselors who have call centers who phone people up and say, um, "Would you like us? We can reduce your your installment payments every month by twenty percent, thirty percent, forty percent, whatever it is they tart." And they don't mention the word debt review. Mm-hmm. They don't explain what it's about and what it's the downside is. You can't get any new credit. We actually take control of your payments now. Yeah, whatever. They, they will then send a form. A lot of people don't read it properly, and just like that, they're under debt review, which is a very serious legal thing that takes control of your finances, and then they can't get out. And it's a very expensive thing to get it's out very of it. You've got to, go and get to get a court order, don't you? Yes, yes. You've got, you normally. I mean, look. I tell everyone to go to the national credit regulator, complain. Uh, it really is their job. They regulate the industry. They are registering these people. And so they have a duty of care to to help those people who are duped. By mm. the same token, never sign a form without reading. Ev- how many times do we say that on this show? Without reading every word Absolutely, of it. Because, every term. Yeah. Yes. But I just want to say, that this, uh, the, 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 sorry, the number one warning, if I can encapsulate all of that, is if you get a call from someone, some stranger saying they're with XYZ, uh, they won't say debt counseling. They won't say debt review. They will say you've been chosen. You blah, 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 and you can we can reduce. They sorry. The other one question that they have to ask is, are you over indebted? And that question doesn't come up either because these people are not over indebted. They're paying their their um, home loans and their everything, car but they'd like to pay less, wouldn't we all? Because interest yeah. rates have gone on, et cetera, up, etc. So, I mean, the call recording. You should get the call recording because that'll prove that you were misled. But then. Once you've proved that, and assuming you can get the call recording, I mean, I take up some of these cases, I just get ignored. Just ignored. So just to give you an example, the listener, Amy, whose case you've been dealing with, yes. they phoned her and said, we can save you at least 2,000 rand per month yes. on your repayments. They didn't say, we're going to do that by putting you under debt no. review. They simply said, we can save you 2,000 rand a month. Would you like us to do that? Um, and, and that she, is how it played out. Yes. And she yeah. actually thought she was in the clear because although she signed that form, she said they also wanted a lot of supporting documents to finalize the arrangement. And legally, they would have had to have it, but they, she didn't send it and they then later on, she said, um, she said, now I'm not going to send you the documentation until I've spoken to my husband. And then she said, I want to um, do everything face to face rather. And then she was said a debit check thing, which she rejected. Okay. And she still went under debt review. Oh, no. So it's, it's the don't take those calls. When you get those calls, just, I mean, think about it. It's like somebody approaching you on the street and saying, um, well, these people have access to. Our um, phone numbers, our phone numbers, and and financial details. That's another story. But someone coming up to you and saying, you know, just sign here because we're going to say, like, who are you actually? You're standing on the street corner. It's the same thing. Somehow, when people get phoned or approached by email, they're more likely to to fall to entertain it. To entertain it. That's the word. And and 
Yeah. Please, if anyone talks about cutting your installments, your 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 repayments, by either by a certain figure, like in Amy's case, two thousand rand a month, or by a certain percentage, just just say no, thank you. Put the phone down, please, and please tell everybody because it's. I mean, oh, it's wicked. On the on the note of them having our phone numbers, somebody has just taken the thought I out of it. my head. Isn't this falling foul of Poppy that the, the these debt review companies are given our details, Wendy? You would think so. I would have to research that more carefully and sort of find out how are they getting the details. Um, Some of them say they got it from the National Credit Regulator, which is obviously not uh, correct. So you reckon that's a lie like the one – I mean, the one we had on Monday in Legal Talk was somebody saying, I got your your information from the Deeds Office. And we interrogated that with – The the Deeds Office office often gets blamed. They get blamed and they do keep – they they keep legitimately a lot of our personal information, but but only certain categories of it. And uh, they're often the ones who are blamed by somebody who's purchased an entire list – from another supplier, for example. So uh, really important to keep that in mind. Okay, um, we've got a voice note that's coming on debt review. So maybe we should take a listen to that before we take our ad break. And then I hope we'll have time to squeeze in one more topic after we come back. Obi, can we take a listen to that? Hi, Pippa and Wendy. Just a note on the um, debt counselling. Yes, you pay that amount over to them. And say, for instance, you get paid on the 15th of the month, they kindly keep that money that you've paid them for another two weeks, gaining interest, and then they pay your creditors. Um, Thus, your interest just gets higher and higher, and sometimes you just don't see any kind of light at the end of the tunnel. But you just have to persevere. Thank you so much for I've that. I've never heard of that before. I'll yeah. definitely check that out with a reputable debt card. Yeah, that's worth interrogating. Yeah. Thank you. Cape Talk. Consumer Talk. Call now on 021-446-0567. Right, we are back with Wendy Nola. And in the remaining uh, 10 minutes, Wendy, you wanted to, to talk to us about uh, another version of the fraudsters getting your personal details out of you, and in particular... The, the, the one-time pin. Um, you wanted to share the story with us just to warn others that this is the particular iteration of the scam yes. out there at the moment. So, so our, our information is out there. We've had so many data breaches. It sort of speaks to the previous warning we did about about um, the, the rogue debt counsellors. Yeah. Um, they have our information. It's out there. So the only thing we can do is take steps to not give them the other things they need, certainly when it comes to um, getting into our bank accounts, and that is... Um, the keys to the safe, that's what the bank call them, and that would be our, our one-time pins and our passwords. So I've had so many of these cases, usually people over 60, 65, 70, um, and what the, the caller pretends to be from the fraud department of their bank, says there's some, we've detected some fraudulent activity on your account, and we need to, um, we just need your help, we need to check, you know, are you... Uh, is this you? Are you doing this? Of course, the person says, no, 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 all alarmed. And this person's um, flustered now. Flustered and, yeah. and there's an urgency in the caller's voice, which they wouldn't be, incidentally, with a genuine person from your bank. It's, they're, not, they're not that emotionally invested. They're very cool and calm, right? Yeah. And um, so what happens is, you know, when you go to buy something from the bank, you are sent a one-time pin. I mean, from the, from the bank. You go to buy online, something or you want, online, you want to example, transfer yes. money or whatever. And... Um, it, all the banks say in capital letters, do not read this out, do not share or whatever. Mine says do not share this code or something. And so I've been so interested to know, 
I mean, to read it out, you've actually got to read those words out. Does the alarm bells not go off? And so when I got a case recently from Odette, as I, I had many, many exchanges with her to really try and get inside her head. I said, I'm, this is not judgmental. This is I'm trying to understand what happens because they're obviously so clever. It happens to so many people. Yeah. I want to be able to help people. Um, and she, after several exchanges, she said that the fraudster told her it was for voice verification, that she had to read out that um, that whole SMS from her bank in which that one-time pin is embedded so oh. that he could verify her voice because he had the fraudster saying the same thing, kind of something, some story, which I can imagine you could kind of swing. So she initially didn't want to. And she said, well, can't you just voice verify me based on this conversation? Yeah. And he said, no, it has to be those exact words. It's a, it's a science and blah de blah blah So she read it out. And um, I forget how much money she, she lost because I said I deal with so many of these cases. Um, but the the I'm very grateful her, to her because I hadn't heard that that particular ruse before and it makes yeah. a little bit of sense. Um, and, um, you know, a colleague of ours told me that, that he did the same thing um, because he got the call at night. He was asleep and... He also read it out, and then, but he realized within a minute that he less made a mistake. than a minute that yeah. he made a mistake and phoned the bank and and his, was able to his, stop the his funds were intact. Use. Yes, yeah. but not so in a debt case and so many others like her. So the advice is very very simple: if you get a call from somebody claiming to be from the fraud division of your bank, disbelieve them first of all. Mm-hmm. End the call. Don't read any numbers whatsoever. No numbers, and then double check. Have your banks legitimate fraud division number in your phone under contacts phone them I guarantee you there's 99.9% of the time they'll say no your bank's well done for for not responding um, and we uh, haven't been there's trying no to fraud you. no yeah. we haven't um, and I think that's as basic as it can be is just do not engage do not no matter how urgent no matter what I mean they'll they'll get desperate and, say, and start saying I can see the money's about to go you're the only one who can stop it you have to you know it, it gets to that and, 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 and the conversations I've had with these people and, and how it played out is it's staggering soon, yeah, I mean it's playing on the, the the desperation the emotional obviously and and when you get into a bit of a panic your common sense goes out the window escapes yeah. you yes well as you said I mean without identifying who our colleague is Wendy an intelligent person yes a savvy person somebody who deals with stories about fraud and manipulation or as part of their work uh, on a day-to-day basis even they fell for it in the middle of the night when there was a voice in their ear saying somebody's trying to steal money from your account and all you're thinking it's such a wicked irony isn't it because that's the fraudster phoning you actually wanting you to help to help them get (laughs) Get away with it so yeah um yeah okay so so just end the call and never give numbers over the phone um to anybody I mean your bank's not going to do that your bank tells you and the banks some of them give you a 50% goodwill sort of but they warn me repeatedly do not we will never ask you to read out a pin or a password over the phone our bank staff will not do it do it do yeah. not and if you do it um, sadly you're at their mercy and most of the time they do not repay they do not, yeah. not repay they don't reimburse you at all for the losses okay yeah. so again that's really important advice keep the actual the actual verified phone number for your bank's fraud division which you would have obtained from their own website keep it saved in your phone and if you have any doubt 
hang up the call and phone that number to say, is this you trying to contact me? Wendy, thanks for flagging that. I'm really sorry Odette had to learn that lesson the very hard way. Look, we've only got a minute or two left. If I may, Wendy, I'm going to go to to um, one more topic that we said we would touch on because this links back to what you were saying about checking your luggage as you leave the airport to be able yes. to prove that something happened there and then. The same applies to checking your delivery when there's been an online order and it's been dropped off by the courier at your house. Wendy, easier said than done. Much, very much uh, so. You know, if it's been picked up by a third party or delivered while you're at work, it's not always easy to check it on the spot. But you want to make a case for why it should be done if at all possible. Yeah, so, and because that way you have proof and a witness yeah. in the courier that, that things weren't as they were supposed to be. It was broken, it was scratched, um, whatever. And if you... If it's absolutely not practical and you cannot do it, then open it certainly the same day. Don't leave it there if you've bought it as a gift for someone or you know what it is and you don't immediately need it. Because if you, well, I had a, a case, um, well, I saw a case that I was uh, tagged on on Twitter. He only opened his cardboard box for the courier many days after it was delivered to find what looked like a used product inside it. And Ooh. he tweeted, they denied my return because we didn't immediately tell them, but we didn't expect this from them, so we didn't check. So always check because the balance of probability, obviously, if you send something through days later is, well, you know, if it's used, you, you could have used it. Somebody yeah. in your family could have used it. So open that box, even if you know you don't need what's inside immediately and just check because even if you haven't done it, ideally you should when the courier is there. Um, doing it on the same day puts the balance of probabilities in your favour. I'm going to stick my hand up here, Wendy, and say guilty of this particular offence. Having received a delivery of a phone, it was a, a reconditioned phone that was being given as a gift to my daughter. And the birthday was still a month away, so we waited and we didn't think to check That's that the phone That's very was natural behaviour. And, and it wasn't. Gifted her a beautiful phone that didn't work. <sighs> And actually, to their credit, the the provider took it oh, back good. with no questions asked Many and, and, uh, and refunded us in full, absolutely in full, Wonderful. no questions, which was fantastic. But yeah, it's, it's probably it's, why you didn't tell me the story at the time. Exactly, which is why they haven't been named and shamed. <laughs> yeah. talk. Wendy, thanks. Uh, very interesting show. We've gone all over the place, but all of it very important and practical advice that I hope the listeners have been listening carefully to. Uh, Wendy's back with us next week, Wednesday. And just a reminder that if you ever do want to raise a consumer talk issue, uh, you can either email Wendy directly on consumer at nola.co.za, K-N-O-W-L-E-R. She knows a lot about consumer affairs. So consumer at nola.co.za, or you can contact her via her Facebook page, which is Wendy Nola Consumer. Uh, The other option, of course, is to mail me. Please remember to put Cape Talk in the subject line when you do contact her so she knows which show it's for. And we'll chat again next week, Wednesday. We'll do, Pippa. Thanks.